All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner Post Game Edition. I'm here with Nationwide Nolan. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and we are here after the Hoyas just fell to Syracuse in a Carrier Dome with no fans. 74-69, the Hoyas fell. Javon Blair had his first double-double, 16 points, career-high 10 assists. Jamarco Pickett had one of his better games this season, 17 points, 9 boards. This is the Hoyas' fifth straight loss. They are now 3-8. and eight. Um, Real quick, Nolan, before I start letting you go, let me just rattle off a couple other things. Buddy Beheim led four Syracuse players in double figures with 21. Beheim basically went six deep. Uh, Richmond played six minutes. And we could talk about this at length in a little bit. Man, those Georgetown lineups are... I know it's 11 games in and there's a lot of new players, but man, I have some serious head scratching, but let's start off with how you thought offensively they attacked the zone. I thought for the most part, they were fine. I think this year they had to go back to a more traditional, put a guy in the middle. You got your big man down low. It felt like in past years when maybe there was a little bit more talent at the guard spots that Ewing just kind of ran his, man-to-man offense he used some of the same sets uh like a horn set which he tried once in the second half that went nowhere so i think it was more traditional just putting jamarco in the middle i think that just kind of hinders you a little bit and i don't mean to criticize jamarco because i thought he gave you a really good effort tonight he was the only player that really cared to rebound at all yeah Um, but when you throw him in the middle there his decision making and you know, how efficient of a shooter is he really from that spot on the floor? And just overall as a playmaker, just I think you're just lacking a little bit when you throw him in there. So real quick, just to back up, um, I know people really enjoy the coach type talk. You want to you go over for someone listening that might not know what the horn set is? Yeah, I mean, that standard for a lot of teams is just you put two close players up at uh, kind of free throw line extended area. And there's a ton of options off of that. I mean, the guard can pick which way he wants to go off the screen. You can dump it into one of those guys and play off of that. So it's, I mean, it's not a specific, there's just variations to run off of that, but it's something okay. you normally see versus man-to-man. Um, and you just, you can utilize it in a, against the zone if you want to try to screen the top of the zone or just throw a different wrinkle in there. Um, but like I said, tonight, I think what you saw was just mostly the standard zone offense, uh, that you would see almost at any level, just throwing a guy in the middle and trying to play off of it that way. I got a couple different ways I want to go here. So I noticed when I listen and I edit, sometimes I ask questions that are, uh, very long and, or statements I make very long that end up kind of going in multiple directions. So I'm going to try and do better on that. So let's see. So Cutis will hop started off pretty hot. This is the question I asked Ewing and I wish I had asked him about Bayheim wearing the towel because I had my hand up and um, Ewing, I think was kind of, I wouldn't say he was trying to get out of there. It saved me actually like he was maybe like swallowed something wrong. He was doing a little bit of coughing. So the press conference wasn't super long. I hope he's okay. Like I said, Seemed like it might have just swallowed it wrong or something. But anyway, Kudus Wahab. So they, I think, I think Pickett got him on. You know, they came out with Pickett at the foul line. I think he got him for a dunk, and then there was like a pass that got through somehow. Like it wasn't going to Wahab. Yeah. 
but yeah. it got through. So he had like, I think he had four of their first six points. He ended the game, you know, with only nine points. He was three for three from the line. He only made one other shot after that initial beginning. Were you a little surprised that they weren't able to involve him more? Because Syracuse didn't really have a center. No, I mean, coming into the game, uh, especially when Sidibe got ruled out for Syracuse, you would have thought there'd be a bigger impact there. There was one possession. It might have been first half where they kind of emptied that middle part of the floor out and just posted him straight up, and they got him the ball. It might have actually been that time he got – did he get called for an offensive foul? Am I remembering that right? Did he hook somebody? Um, yeah. I think yeah, that was yeah. the post up. Yeah. Right. I, that was, I, that I was really scored on it too. Yeah, it felt like that was really the only time they got him isolated, just one-on-one. But you look at, I mean, what, he ended up playing 20 minutes. He grabbed one rebound, which is yeah. pretty disappointing. Yeah. Which, like I said, it felt like Jamarco for most of that game was really the only person hitting hitting the boards. Um, which, obviously, he can't do that. That's, that was one issue I had. I mean, Syracuse, it's not so much – they probably have a little bit more talent this year, but that's not a vintage Syracuse team. So, no. you know, the, the controllables, just for me, like – allowing 12 offensive rebounds to them. Uh, again, losing the turnover battle, that's the stuff. In a game where you have pretty equal talent, that it just kills you. Kerry got off to a pretty good start, too. And I was actually hoping, I know it's his first year. I don't know, uh, you know, I'm not going to go back and look. It's possible that Siena or Mount St. Mary's played Syracuse. But I actually was hoping, so he was finished 10 points, four for six, two for four from deep. I was hoping he was going to get more towards like 11, 12 attempts. And I thought he was a potential guy in the middle of that zone from the, from the free throw line. I totally agree with you. I mean, we've talked about it before about his, can he take on a heightened role in the offense, maybe more shot attempts. Um, I mean, you look at his numbers now for the season, he's 22 of 51 from three, 43%, which is well above, anybody else on the team i mean blair now even though we he's kind of the noted shooter you want to say but we've gone over this too i mean his career averages now it's nothing all that special so it today was actually a good day for him yeah so i mean what he finished today four Four for ten yeah Yeah. you'll take that every time you know, with Carey, it's kind of the give and take where if you throw him in the middle, then you're also losing your best spot-up shooter playing off of that zone. So it's – I can see why you don't throw him in there. I think he did get in there for a couple of possessions second half, but I agree that is something I would have liked to have seen more of because I think he is your one of your more steady guys just as a decision maker. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're now we're going we're gonna to go into this, and it's going to be – it's not just cut and dry. It's gonna, it's gonna be a lot. So, Georgetown's up sixteen eleven. Syracuse goes on a ten zero run. During that time, we somehow got a look at Chudier Bile in the free throw line a couple times, trying to pass to Malcolm Wilson. Okay, we haven't seen Wilson since he's played in three games. We haven't seen him since St. John's on the 20th. How surprising were... Now, I'm not trying to blame this run on those two guys, but my larger point is it's game 11, it's Syracuse. I think you kind of know what you have in your team. 
and we're still seeing stuff mm-hmm. that we haven't really seen before. Like, am I making too big of a point of this? Or what's your thought about what we kind of saw at that point? And then I'll I'll leave it to the first half only. And then as the game's kind of, you know, it's kind of getting away a little bit, we see Colin Holloway make an appearance. He also, his fourth game of the season, had not played since that St. John's game. If I had told you that, you know, if I said, look, it's Berger, it's it's uh, Sibley, it's Clark, who started two games ago, by the way, um, and Holloway, like, how surprised would you have been? Okay, I did it again. I just said a bunch of stuff. So let's just talk <laughs> about the lineups. How surprising was that first half of lineups? Well, I don't want to say it's surprising because we see this stuff, you know, lately in the middle halves of games where he makes those changes. I just it feels like he'd be much better suited. Okay, if you want to play Malcolm, which I thought Malcolm again he showed well. I mean, in the small glimpses we've had, to me he's shown more basketball IQ than your other option at backup center. He's been in the right spots. He rebounded. He blocked the shot. Um, but when you stick him with Belay, it's just those two together. If you want to play Malcolm, make sure Jamarco's out there. If you're playing Belay, make sure Wahab is out there. Just split that up. You put both of them on the floor at the same time. Where are you going? Uh, yeah. And then the Holloway appearance was bizarre. I don't know. I mean, no offense to him. Maybe he showed something in practice, but to get to that point before you give Clark or Sibley a chance in that first half. Um, and then Berger, you throw out in the second half again with Sibley, which they both. I thought Sibley was encouraging. Obviously, the three-point attempt from the from the uh, corner was not yeah. pretty, but he did some other good things. Then Berger knocked one down, uh, which I thought coming into the game, you might utilize him a little bit more early on, just his shooting ability. So it's right now it feels like there's no, I mean, obviously there's no set rotation, but it's almost just, is he just reaching for stuff in the second half or when he goes to Holloway in the first half that kind of throws his hands up and says, go in there, I'm out of options. I, I don't know, but there's certainly no set rotation. Yeah, I think the the season is going to be tough. It was going to be tough if it had been normal. It became extra difficult with Georgetown getting to campus late and all that stuff. I know people don't like to hear it. Uh, I said it on Syracuse radio yesterday. I said it's not an excuse. It's just it's just a fact, right? But yeah. But but now we're eleven games in. I don't want to. You know, it's it's disrespectful to the seniors to say it's all about next year, but it kind of is, and that's what's confusing to me in watching these rotations and your 11 games in and Ewing, like he didn't say it tonight, but a lot of times he says it's his gut. He goes with his mm-hmm. gut. You know, analytics are sort of a tool. And I, don't, I actually don't care about being an analytics nerd. I sort of, maybe because of my age, I lean a little bit against that, but I'm definitely not in love with the gut stuff. And I clearly know way less about basketball than Patrick Ewing, but to not see TJ Berger in the first half, like we just spoke about, if you put Carey in the middle of the free throw against, I'm sorry, in the middle of the zone on the free throw line, then you miss that shooter. Well, you know, Berger could be that shooter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. there's ways around it. And Dante Harris probably, 
a blessing and a curse for him and maybe for fans' expectations. He had 22 points, Big East freshman of the week, in his first outing unexpectedly. Uh, in the five games since then, he has 28 points. So I know when he first came in, we were sort of excited about because, you know, Jalen wasn't really scoring. Like, wow, if you can add a score, this is kind of maybe changes the calculus of the team. So, you know, the idea of living and dying with the freshman probably is something that has to be done. I, I think I, I just I can't get away from my, how head scratching it is after Sibley had seven the other night, um, what we've seen of Berger. And by the way, Kobe Clark started. I know Jay, you know, Devon <laughs> didn't start, but Kobe Clark started and hasn't really played since. Like, so to me, what's happening now with Patrick Ewing, if you can remember kind of at the end of JT3, he would do things like if somebody had a good half, he would start them in the second half. And it just mm-hmm. seemed very reactionary. I'm not getting a sense that there's a plan. Yeah. Clark is somebody I really would like to see because I think he kind of fills in a lot of the holes. Um, you know, we talked about the rebounding tonight. He's a kid who will go in there and rebound um, and give you energy. I thought I thought Seth Greenberg early on, or maybe it's towards the end of the first half, said, you know, Georgetown, they're not taking anything away. They're not making Syracuse feel anything defensively, uh, which I thought was true that Syracuse kind of just there was no resistance and if you throw a kid like Kobe Clark in there see what you have I think you saw that with Sibley even second half just his length his activity I think it was Bayheim, one of his shots he just went up and blocked it uh, one-on-one so it's I, I think it's going to be tough to find a group in conference play that gives you good results no matter what I mean they're up against it this year there's no question but I do think it's still a group you need to build towards the future that you have to see what Kobe Clark can do. And in my mind, if you know, he did start a couple of games ago. So what did he do to earn that start? And why did he only play two minutes? And why has he not been seen since? That's just the confusing part. So great question. I asked, actually asked both of those questions and He's, you know, he likes his intensity, his defense, all that. He says all this great stuff. And then I said, well, you know, what was it that you decided to go elsewhere the rest of the game? And he said, oh, it's just kind of, you know, I coach for my gut, you know. And uh, I do think that, you know, everyone's excited about next year, right? That's what happens when you're a program that's struggling. You know, you, oh, recruiting class is good. The recruiting class is good. It's not Fab Five. And I want to say since we did the podcast after Muhammad committed, they, they, they dropped from like six to 13 on 24 seven. I did see that. That was odd. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, like, look, you know, the, the numbers aren't everything, but that is everyone's excitement, you know, for next season. And I'm not trying to take that away, but I think I, I, Ewing as the person that's in charge of all this stuff has the ability to, get people even more excited if they can say we got these guys coming in and they're going to play with Sibley who we're seeing with Clark who we're seeing you know I'm not I'm not suggesting Berger should play 20 minutes but I was a little surprised that he didn't get a shot in the first half to maybe oh you know what he's got no problem busting the zone and it kind of you know it changes Syracuse defense a little bit right and you don't really see that I think you can't just come back next year bringing cutest and Dante Harris, particularly if Harris doesn't 
you know, improve, get off of the whole um, freshman struggle he seems to be on. His turnovers were fine today. He only had one turnover. I don't know if that's because he was, you know, maybe playing more more cautious. But there needs to be something that those freshmen can attach to. And that's most surprising. Um, I want to get your opinion on something else. I said that, and I've said it before, when all the guys left last year, and particularly in the beginning when, you know, Mac and Omir were healthy, the current, the, the players that were still on the roster were playing hard. Ewing was getting a lot out of them. Everybody was felt good about it. And one of the things I thought going in Ewing's favor at that point was he didn't really have to worry about who to play because the lineups picked themselves. In the beginning of that season when, you know, Javon Blair got DNP against Texas. I remember I was Mm -hmm. upset because I felt like this guy needs to come in and hit shots. You know, he's got no conscience. So like, you know, so when I look at what Syracuse did tonight, Beheim basically played one, two, three, four, five guys played at least 30 minutes. Uh, Braswell got 16. Richmond got six. I think Georgetown, I'm, I'm not even sure which six or seven players would be that, but I think I think that Ewing would be better off that way, knowing like these are the guys I have to play. Yeah. Um, you know, just to throw this in there, I find it interesting that Kadari Richmond now is not playing at all after he just got a hint of NBA buzz. It seems kind of intentional, yeah. though. Um, <laughs> so that's another discussion. But I would say, you know, with somebody take Berger and Sibley for an example, if you could just carve out in your mind in the first half, okay, I'm going to give them, even if it's 90 seconds, two minutes, just see yeah. what they have. They show you something, extend it a little bit, and you know you can go back to the second half. I think it's unfair to them to then not play them first half and throw them out there in the second half. I think we saw that um, Berger, the Butler game unexpectedly gets thrown in there gets lost on defense once, turns it over. It's just a tough spot to put him in. And even tonight, I I, I can't imagine Holloway was expecting first half minutes. And then you throw him in, and immediately he loses, I think it was Bayheim on defense for an open three. So it's – I think the kids also have to know, okay, this is my role, and this is when I can expect it. Instead, I mean, who knows if even Malcolm Wilson thought he was getting in the game tonight. It's just – I, you need some sort of consistency with that approach. Yeah, I think that there being some sort of plan within what's we look we look we know right. This is going to be a bad season. They're three and eight. They don't play any other teams that you look at and you say, yeah, that's a win, right? Like, there's, I mean, there's literally none of them, right? No, I mean. I don't know what you could point to now. I mean, a DePaul home game. That's, I mean, if you don't get that one, who who knows? Which happens to be the next game. Yeah, I suppose yeah. I suppose you could take it and say, well, look, they could have won at Butler, so you win the home game. Um, you know, they were very even with Marquette. Road games aren't really road games because no one's there. So, you know, I guess I'm being very glass half empty, but – I'm just very discouraged by the lineups and the lack of consistency. Like, like you said, I think it's very difficult, whoever it is, whether it's Sibley tonight, Berger last game to tap someone on the shoulder with five minutes left and say, Hey, go do something, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, if they were pros, I would argue that you need to be ready. 
you know, these kids yeah. are on scholarship. Obviously, Georgetown's a great university and all that kind of stuff. But I think I think it's hard, particularly for freshmen that don't really know what's going on yet, haven't really experienced mm-hmm. a lot of college ball, to just be ready when that. I just think that that's more of a pro mentality. Yeah, it's. I, I will say they've been a little bit more competitive than I thought this year. I mean, outside of the Seton Hall game, they were at least in every game they've played. Even the night, it, it never felt like they were really out of that. You kind of could sense Syracuse would let them back in it. Um, but it's just, I agree. I mean, and I realize Blair is probably your most steady offensive guy, but you know, he plays the full 40 minutes tonight. Can you give two of those minutes to Berger in the first half? You know, I, I, it's just throwing those guys out there with no set pattern or, and it's one thing, like you'll see a coach like Roy Williams just get, loses his mind at his starting group and, you know, wholesale hockey lineup changes, throws in other guys as a motivational tactic. And I don't think that's what this is most of the time it's just trying to throw something and see what sticks. Uh, so that's, that's, what's frustrating. Yeah. The Holloway one, particularly, I think coming in the tape we'd seen on him was he's a pretty, maybe for his size an underrated post type player. And maybe that's what the thought yeah. was. Cause that, that, that is where, you know, where, where he ran on offense. He was kind of down there, you know, under the basket. I just, it's like I said, we don't know enough about him. It to me, it is just the how random could that be, right? Like it's yeah. not like he plays a couple minutes every game. It's he hadn't played. He you know he'd only played in three games. Same. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just harping on I, that. I you know I've been down on Sibley, but from the little bit he's shown, he's improving. I, yeah, I I don't see how you go Holloway over him in that spot. Um, and I get we we don't see practice, but I mean even tonight those six minutes that we played, if that doesn't garner him some more going forward, then I just I I don't really get it. So he has, I mean Holloway is what six six. He's ground bound. There's limited upside there. Where Sibley is a rangy six eight kid. Well, like I said, I mean you saw him play Bayham straight up and. He defended it well. He blocked the shot. I mean, just those glimpses give you a little bit. Um, and then even late second half, I think it was Dante on the break that threw a bullet at him, and he caught it, and he converted. So you've just seen enough to say, hey, maybe we should give him a little bit more time. Yeah, I think I think the Marquette performance, you know, he scored seven points in eight minutes and three for four from the field. He actually made his first three. He's only taken a couple. Didn't really do anything in four minutes at Butler. I guess I know that it's not Ewing's job, obviously, to make the fans happy, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, by winning, that will do that. But in a season where you know the L's are just going to pile up, I think mm. that it would make a lot of sense to to reward the play of the freshmen in a way that saw them on the floor more often and consistently. So this was the last, you know, it's not like this isn't like a form of tanking where we just want to strip it down and see the young guys. Like 
there is value in building that culture and winning games. But when you get to the point where it's like, Bile is not going to be here next year. And he actually played well second half. I thought first half he was terrible. But what's what are you getting out of that? We know this is kind of a lost season. And while you want guys to earn those minutes, at some point it's that trade-off, it, it flips in the other direction where you need to play the younger player. I know before the game I spoke to you about, I think I mentioned three-point defense. Syracuse didn't go nuts from three, but they were, you know, they hit 40%, which is a great number. They they didn't take as many as I thought they would. Georgetown took 12, yeah. 10, 10 more threes, but they were, I think in the second half, they were four for nine. There was just a couple big plays. Like there was, I think Georgetown was down five. They were down four, actually. I think, yes, they were down four. There was like a break. I don't know who was with Blair. But Blair got blocked, and yeah. it goes down, and Behan just drains a three. It's a you know, mm-hmm. it was you go from conceivably being down two, which holy hell, they're down two, to being down seven. So it just seemed like, like I said, only nine threes. If you said before the game, I think I would have taken that. I'm guessing you would have too. Yeah, it's just I thought overall defensively like they came out and it felt like Syracuse was running more ball screens and Georgetown which I've been begging for years just drops on the coverage and it didn't seem like Syracuse was getting much out of that so then they just all Syracuse does in the half court they just run those the pin downs and the curls for Bayheim Griffin um, and it's just you get disconnected just a little bit and there's some separation there for them to get shots off and it's they have shot makers, really. And I thought, for the most part, probably through the first 15 minutes, you were getting just as good of shots, maybe even better shots. But they have some guys who make them. Um, you know, and they made just enough. Nine is 22. That is kind of a low number volume-wise for them. Yeah. So I think you did fine in that department. I would have taken that. Um, again, to go back to it, the big number for me was 12 offensive rebounds. Uh, and then. The big issue right now defensively, I mean, we know they don't take away a whole lot. Their two-point defense has been fine, but now I'm just looking at this. Georgetown is in turnover rate on defense, 339th. So you're not causing any turnovers at all. I mean, only Um, nine tonight. So for a team that likes to run, you're not creating any chances on your own to do that. So that's, I mean, that's a killer. What'd you think about the commentary? I partic- I was upset when I saw the broadcasting crew. I was hoping for, you know, one game of Billis. Yeah. Um I, Dave O'Brien obviously is a Syracuse guy. They just kept talking about Manly Fieldhouse. And I guess at one point what Georgetown went down fifty to thirty-four, I tweeted, look, I don't even feel like looking up their worst loss to Syracuse. And obviously the game got, you know, re- you know, very tight and it did not go into the whole blow up, but they seem like they use a lot. They used a lot of filler. And I don't know if you saw my tweet, but I have no respect for Greenberg. He, <laughs> he had, you know, it sounds like maybe you, maybe you saw it, but he's at Virginia tech. He didn't get mm-hmm. either of Del Curry's kids and he didn't get the second one after we saw what Steph did. Like, even if Seth, you know, even if Seth Curry was terrible after you miss on Steph, you just take him Right. And he ended up, I think he was at, was he at Liberty? Then he, he was at uh, Liberty, yeah. 
criminal. <laughs> the Seth Curry thing is so weird because it kind of happened to him along every stop of his career where nobody trusted him. Like, you think people would just take a flyer on him the whole way. He's finally, I mean, he's a legitimately good NBA player now, but nobody, I mean, all the way along, nobody gave him a shot. The You know, Seth Greenberg, it felt like there was about a four or five-year stretch selection Sunday where he would just end up on ESPN just crying about not making it in when he didn't schedule well enough. I think there was only one year he had a legitimate gripe, and then every other year just whining. Um, I think as a commentator, he's. I think if he went into more basketball mode, he'd be fine, but he just keeps it kind of vanilla, which is to be expected. They kept doing that thing where they would beat Duke or UNC and think that, you know, that was enough to get in the tournament. You know, I know they did it to Duke at least once. I want to say they did it twice. And, you know, it's not about that, right? It's You play like about 30 games, you know, so it's great if you can, you know, beat Duke at home and everybody rushes the court. But that's not enough. I don't know. Like I said, like if Seth Curry had literally only had one arm and I'd been the coach (laughs) in tech at that point, I feel like I would have offered him a scholarship. Yeah. So yeah. I just, you know, obviously I'm sure I've done and said stupid things, but that one just seems so egregious that I struggle when he's in the studio or whatever, giving opinions. I'm like, are you serious, dude? <laughs> it was Dave O'Brien. I'm okay with, he's not as big of a Homer. Who was it? Was it Dave Pash? The always yeah. characters games. He was awful. I mean, at the Big East tournament, he would just end up openly. You could just tell he was rooting for the Cuse as he liked to say. Do you miss it? Do you miss ESPN? I do. I, I mean, I, I think the Fox, that I do, and I do. I think the Fox partnership—it's gone as well as you probably could have hoped for. I mean, every single game gets on national television. Um, I'm sure financially, it's worked out fine for them. But I mean, you do miss something beyond on that network. I mean, there's no way around it. It's crazy for me. I mean, one. Obviously, uh, I think uh, Rich's daughter, Pam, tweeted she misses the old Big East. And, you know, I said I actually miss the new old Big East, the one that had Louisville and, yeah, um, you know, Notre Dame, because, you know, the original Big East doesn't have schools like that. But I don't know if it's just because of my time commitments or what. I don't watch as much other college basketball as I used to, which kind of mm-hmm. puts you on ESPN all the time. Yeah. You know, I used to love Big Monday. Obviously, Georgetown was involved in a lot of them. I haven't taken off to the new Big East, and this might be because Georgetown hasn't either. I would sit around and watch a ton. You know, oh, Pitt's playing Louisville. You know, uh, Syracuse is playing Notre Dame. uh, Whatever. You know, I'm not doing that often like I did. And I think part of that is for me, like when the teams that I have an interest in aren't any good or mediocre, bad, whatever, it doesn't make me interested. And with, you know, when also, when Georgetown was ranked all the time, you might take an interest in a game. Oh, well, if they lose, Georgetown might move up, even though the rankings are silly, but they do kind of mean a little bit. So just being on ESPN tonight kind of brought all those memories back to when <laughs> I cared more about college basketball. <laughs> no, it's not, I mean, as much as people love the 80s Big East, and obviously you can't compare it to that, but it felt like there was kind of a second golden run there from – and again, this correlates with Georgetown's success, so maybe it does go hand in hand from you know, oh yeah. six to really 
when conference realignment, when it all crumbled, uh, it felt like that window was, was great for the Big East. Just it on a positive note for the conference, though, tonight, seeing UConn win again, uh, they are going to add some juice, which I'm excited about, actually. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. And it's obviously, it's great, but I think it only, it's only going to help me if Georgetown could be a part of it. Yeah. You know, they've just, they, they've just been keeping, they've been keeping company with St. John's and DePaul for so long that you watch Creighton and you're like, wow, like Georgetown really hasn't been good while Creighton, I mean, when Creighton came in the league, they were good immediately. Then they kind of had a year or two where they Mm -hmm. weren't good, but you know, they haven't, it's hard to get into that matchup because it hasn't really been a thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about this for one second. No, you know what? I said I wanted to do a short one. I wanted to watch a little bit of Washington football, even though that's not going to be fun either. Um, I'll tell you this. We'll talk about this soon. I printed out the the Big East coaching records. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously this season's not going to go great, but the company that that Ewing is keeping right now with coaches that have coached for, as you know, as long or longer and the winning percentages – it's not it's not great. I mean, you know, it's not hard to figure that out, but it's it's to me it's a little bit striking when you actually look at it. You, you print it out and you look at the names. And it's like, sure. ooh. This is uh I I will say this. There's two coaches that started out with terrible Big East records that were covered. Would you like to guess? Uh in the current formation or just kind of or are we dating back to the other Big East too? Yeah, this goes back to when the Big East started. So one of the guys, um, well, actually, both. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Both guys ended up in the NBA. Oh, so I was going to guess Willard was one of them, but uh, NBA guys. Hmm. One of them's back in college. Oh, is. Did Carlissimo have a terrible start at CMO? Yeah, I mean, just terrible. Yeah. Like, a couple of, like, Lato-type, like, Wayne, like Wainwright-type type mm-hmm. seasons. Um, well, and then the- you know, that's, you know, for him, I imagine at that point, I'd have to go back and look at it, but, I mean, you're really punching up in weight class when you're going against Georgetown, St. John, Syracuse. Yeah. I mean... That's the thing for Ewing now. It's like, okay, Villanova's there, but really, we, I mean, eventually it's it's got to get going here. Yeah, so his first, oh my God. So he was 1-15 in 83, then 2-14, and 14, then 1-15, and 15, then 3-13, and 13, and then he, then he got it rolling, you know? Yeah. And he almost won a national championship, and I, you know, I, I don't know what your level of, of that game is, but that's a BS way to end, to end that game. That is for me is like the most overlooked, just terrible blown call or not a. It's that Seton Hall thing. It's amazing to me that there haven't been documentaries or anything about that call. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it just kind of goes under the radar, and if you rewatch that, it's just it's ridiculous. The other guy is is Leonard Hamilton. Okay, that makes sense. Because you know when he came in, it was not great, and 
he got them to be good, and then he left, and he went to a lot of stops. I'm not doing this on purpose because I think you are a Miami uh, Miami football guy. One of the other worst calls in a game like that is I thought Miami had that game won against Ohio State, and that flag came out really late. Yeah, I mean everybody thought that was over. It was. They had to bring the. They yes. had to bring everybody back out. Yeah. I, I didn't do that on purpose, but it just came into my head. And trust me, I do not like the U, but I do appreciate that the way they were is good for college sports, at least in my opinion. Um, but a lot of parallels like with them in Georgetown. When when they're good, the the sports always just a little bit better. I would agree for the team that I follow as well, and I would say that their loss to Alabama was respectable. It was Bama scored the yeah, first three I, times they got it. And I don't know what was, people expect. I mean, it's well, the, Al- the, Alabama's going to do that. The the difference was in the game in 2012 was that I mean Saban called it off. Like that that game could have been way worse, right? I mean, it was 42-14, yeah. and I would say that that is a flattering score because Notre Dame could not run the ball and they could not stop it, right? But in this game, they got a couple stops. It was 21-7. I had no thought they were going to win, but they were driving. Book forces a pass, turnover, they score 28-7. But in that game, they could they could, they could actually run it. It, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like a dad playing with their son. No, the the 2012, one of my favorite, you know, running off the field uh interviews was when Kelly said they asked him what needs to change didn't he say something to the effect like I hope they don't come out of the locker room that's yeah it was something like that yeah I I mean it was yeah you know and at that point yeah so I was looking for it to not be that maybe that's just kind of an embarrassing way but there's just a couple teams where you know I was I don't know turning to college football talk I was stunned at what happened to Clemson I just thought Trevor Lawrence was good enough to overcome stuff and you know, that's two years in a row he's gotten, you know, Burrow did it and then Fields mm-hmm. did it to him. Maybe I'm just looking at that wrong. I don't know. Yeah, it's it feels like, I don't know, it, just following ACC football, it's he was great right from the start, but I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he's improved by a ton, which doesn't mean he's padded or anything, but it's just that I don't know if the – how much better could he really get? So maybe some unrealistic expectations go along with that. All right, look, we can't end this without giving our predictions because I don't think we'll talk before the national championship game. Ohio State, Alabama, it's eight. That seems high. I do like a weekly pick. I really don't know what I'm what I'm going to do with that. I think I think it's Alabama. I I think they cover. I would tend to agree. I mean, it's. They have NFL. It's an NFL team, really. I mean, everybody raves about Mac Jones this year, but just looking oh, at that on. program now, me I mean, how many? Yeah. I feel like I could step in behind center and do okay with that team. That's kind of like like uh, raving about Ken Dorsey, right? Like, Yeah. You know, I mean, basically I was trying to explain to a buddy, I was like, look, on Alabama, because Notre Dame doesn't really have receivers, so their, their top two guys were hurt and – but regardless, even if they hadn't been hurt, um, they're tight ends and big. They have like big receivers that are kind of like tight ends. But like on Alabama, like you could just throw a slant, and at any point, that could be a touchdown. Mm-hmm. 
And if your team can't do that, that's a problem. No, I mean, they lost their best wide receiver and then the other wide receiver wins the Heisman. <laughs> right, but, like, if you, if you if you can get some time and just throw it to a receiver and he has the ability to, like, separate and get away from people. Yeah. Um, ooh, one last thing because this is actually fun. ETN coming back. I thought at the time it was stupid, probably because I wanted Notre Dame to have a better chance to beat them. But what did he gain? And running backs in the NFL don't last that long. So he took a whole other season of hits for free. Like, insane, right? Uh, I think free could be argued, but... Uh, well, okay, at a much lower rate. Yeah, that's probably fair. No, it, it didn't make sense at the time. Uh, and now, I, I mean, I'm sure... I mean, he cost a year of earning money, and now what the money he'll make now, I'm sure it's uh, that's taken to done as well. Yeah, well, I do really appreciate this. I always enjoy these post-game podcasts, and I love college football, so it's really ended in a very nice way. If you're still listening, and I know you are, Georgetown did lose to Syracuse in what probably was their best chance at having a big win of the season. Not that necessarily Syracuse is so great, but I think that when you're a team that's going to have a losing record and you could point to, well, hey, we beat Syracuse, I think this was kind of the spot. I'm disappointed for them. I think it would have been a great, even if that record looks bad, you could point to, oh, we beat Syracuse in the Dome. That doesn't happen every week. Um, what uh, is Wednesday a must win? I mean, are we to that point now? Oh, I mean, I think... I know what you're saying, but must win or what? Like, like must win or like lose yeah. out? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. I think as far as if you, well, look, because after that, they play a team that I think both you and I disrespect, which is Providence, right? So, yeah. If you kind of look at their schedule, I'll go over it real quick. So, okay, they got DePaul at home. That's the last game. Ken Palm has them winning. Then you got Providence on the road. You got Marquette on the road. Those are both winnable. But then you kind of, Xavier's been a bad spot. You have like a back-to-back with Creighton coming up with, I mean, what's the over-under for Creighton in those games? 210? (laughs) (laughs) You you know, so. You know, as frustrated as the program can be, and Ewing might have his flaws, I, I can't imagine rooting for that St. John's team just watching like what they did today. I mean, they have felt like Creighton could have scored 120. Yeah, I guess, you know, they got rid of Mullen and I don't know exactly how it went, but they did bring in a coach that I would consider an adult, you know, like he's Mm -hmm. done stuff. I think you've pointed out, did he do stuff in an era that's completely changed? Yeah, yeah, that's the issue. And, no, you're right. That doesn't look great. But, man, I was up there at the Garden. I mean, they were in – I can't remember exactly who they've lost, but they were right there with Creighton at that noon game. Yeah. You know, basically when the world ended. Or, I'm sorry, the world went on pause. (laughs) Right? I mean, they they were starting to have some pretty big dreams. You know, the St. John's experience, it's – what year did they – 
it's hard to believe that in 2019 they made the NCAA tournament, but somehow they did. Barely. They were in the first four. They started out 12-0, and which included wins over, well, now it looks good, Rutgers, Cal, VCU, Georgia Tech. Did they go out to Arizona and get it? What year was that? I thought they had a better win. I still think the best the best job that that happened was the year when they were. I want to say they were they were zero and ten in the Big East, and Mullen got Duke. Yeah, I do remember that. They yeah, every once in a while they'll pop up with a an unexpected one. What year was that? Okay, they're zero and eleven in the Big East. This is the two thousand the two thousand seventeen eighteen. Uh, St. John's Red Storm. They're 0-11, including a double overtime loss at home to George or at at Georgetown. They beat Duke, and then they come out and they beat Villanova, who's number one. Okay, and then they they end the season. Of course, they beat Georgetown in the Big East tournament. That's kind of what they do. But uh, yeah, that's not a. But again, unfortunately, that's who you have to talk about, right? It's Georgetown and. St. John's. No, I mean, that's, that's the company you keep right now. It is the company you keep. All right. Well, the company I keep is going to be editing this, trying to get out some of the stupid mistakes I make, and then watching Washington football, like I said, with a quarterback from Old Dominion try and beat Tom Brady. They're still in it. <laughs> well, you know, maybe the, maybe they'll uh, cover. What was it? Was that 10? I don't even know. 10 and a half? Well, I don't know when, when they announced Taylor Taylor Heineke was starting. It might have might have bounced up late. I want to say it was like 8.5 for a while. Okay. I wasn't totally totally paying attention, but I think it was I think it was nearing 10. Weird. Weird season. Okay, well, I appreciate you coming back. We've missed you for a couple episodes. And uh, I don't know what DePaul's looking like. I can't even believe that's what we're talking about, but uh, we will be in contact and I'm sure we'll see you back here soon. Nationwide Nolan on Twitter. It's got great Georgetown insight and sports overall. I'm Bobby Bancroft. We will see you later. Thanks, Bobby. 